Welcome to Medicine Matters, the Springer Medicine Podcast. In this episode, we're delving into the gut, but not, as you might expect, in relation to gastro or metabolic diseases. Instead, we're taking a look at how our diet and antibiotic intake affect our gut microbiome and what effect that has on outcomes for people receiving immunotherapy for cancers like leukemia or lymphoma. We'll be hearing from my colleague Sri Ananda and Professor Marian Sutklaver from Munich, Germany. She's going to tell us all about the impact of the gut microbiome on CAR T-cell therapy in people with haematologic malignancies. Hello, thank you all for joining us today and special thanks to Professor Sutklaver for talking to us. Thank you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about this really interesting topic. Please, could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? So to myself, I'm a hematologist oncologist and, and consultant at the hematology oncology department at the LMU in Munich, Germany. That's great. Thank you so much for that. So um, I'm going to start us off with just the basics, which is, so what is the gut microbiome? And then what is it that's being measured when we say we're testing the microbiome? Yeah, so physiological, our um, gut microbiome consists of a lot of uh, species um, and bacteria and, and fungus. And we discriminate if we look um, at the gut microbiome biome and, and look at stool samples, we looked at the alpha diversity and the beta diversity. So um, we have a look how many different species and what kind of species um, are within the gut microbiome, within the stool sample we analyze. And then within the beta diversity, we sort of compare the contexture between, for example, patient um, or healthy donors and um, how this um, differs between the different sort of patient populations or healthy versus patients. What is currently known about the impact of the gut microbiome on the efficacy of CAR T cell therapies in heme malignancies? Right. So I think um, it's still a challenging topic because we have a lot of data on the gut microbiome um, coming from, first of all, allogenic stem cell transplantation, where GVHD, graft versus host disease um, of the gut, um, is a great challenge. Um, we also have a lot of data from the gut microbiome from immune checkpoint inhibitors, um, but also now translating this to other immunotherapies like CAR T cells. And the the challenge um, in this evolving field is that different techniques with different sensitivities are applied to assess the gut microbiome, that we also have heterogeneity between different um, countries and, and where people live and eat. Uh, there's a high variability. So we have lots of reports um, addressing um, the different um gut or microbiome contexture, the dysbiosis, um, if there's a sort of a dominance, for example, of a certain species. But it's still a very heterogeneous picture, and it's not 
that everybody has identified these to be the good guys and the other ones to be the bad guys, but it's probably has to be seen in the contexture. So I think that's one of the challenges that um, the different reports are reporting on different gut bacteria that are then associated with immune-related adverse events, but also outcome. So it's a, a evolving picture that is still, I would say, incompletely understood. But but there does seem to be an effect on efficacy, does it not? Oh, that's uh, it's very clear that um, loss of diversity, for example, is associated with um, poor outcome, um, early progression, and um, is inferior outcome. I think that is something that has been seen um, across reports in, for example, stem cell transplantation, but also in the evolving reports in the context of CAR T cells. But there are differences as the reports identify uh, specific um, bacteria that are associated, for example, with good outcome and bad outcome. Although some um, bacteria, for example, like Enterococcus, seems to have a sort of bad influence on an outcome and progression-free survival across the different reports. But there's still heterogeneity if you sort of name certain bugs um, in relation to outcome. But loss of diversity seems to be a pattern um, that you can see across the reports to be associated with worse outcome. Great. Thank you. That makes sense. I find this absolutely fascinating. Um, you referred to this a little bit. Is there also an impact on safety? Yes. So um, maybe I, I'll give uh, an example of something we've done because I know those data particularly well. So we've looked at the gut microbiome in patients prior to CAR T cells and have looked at the impact of patients that received antibiotics prior to CAR T cells, so these genetically engineered um, and T cells that have been approved in different lymphoma entities as well as multiple myeloma. And we looked only in the lymphoma context. And we could clearly see that broad spectrum antibiotics significantly reduced the alpha um, diversity of these patients prior to CAR T cells, that there was a difference also in the better diversity if you compare those who did not receive antibiotics, who received sort of not broad spectrum antibiotics, that also has to be taken into account. Not all antibiotics, antibiotics are the same, but if you take the broad spectrum antibiotics, you clearly saw a significant impact on the diversity, and that correlated to a reduction in uh, progression-free survival and overall survival. So antibiotics had a negative impact on outcome of patients who received CAR T cells after receiving the CAR T cells. And interestingly, that also correlated to when we looked at proteomics at an immune dysregulated phenotype, if we looked at the serum proteomics of these patients, and this also correlated with an immune phenotype of the adoptively transferred CAR T cells that was more associated with upregulation of inhibitory checkpoint molecules and was also associated with lower CAR T cell expansion. So there seems to be sort of an impact, an association at least, 
between um, the antibiotics, loss of the diversity of the gut microbiome, and um, immune dysregulation and poor CAR T-cell expansion. Are antibiotics kind of the only medication that's been looked at? Because obviously people with cancer will often receive so many other concomitant medications to manage side effects and things like that. Yes, yeah, so I think, first of all, I mean, antibiotics are sort of the obvious ones, right, um, as they have an impact um, on the different gut bacteria. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to highlight that really there seems to be differences between the different antibiotics. So there seems to be those um, that have a bigger impact and, and some of them, for example, like quinolone that are also given as a prophylaxis, ha- seem to have a, a lower or less impact on the diversity and also outcome in that has been shown actually in the allogenic stem cell transplantation as well in the context of CAR T cells. And I think another very obvious um, finding, um, and there's a lot of research uh, being done currently, is that nutrition has a large impact on the diversity of the gut microbiome. And there um, seems to be data evolving that if you have a high fiber nutrition, that this has a positive impact on the gut um, microbiome diversity and um, is then also associated with a better outcome. There's a lot of data now currently done in, in mice um, where they look at sort of the Western diet versus a high-fat diet um, versus, for example, high-fiber diet and how this is impacting the gut microbiome. And I think um, it's really, really interesting because it's something also that we can translate then into clinics um, as something sort of where we uh, could work with. And vice versa, um, very popular with patients is to use so pro- probiotics, right, to, to eat some of these um, whatever uh, positive gut microbiomes. And, you know, I cannot say this, this is true for all of the products you can buy in the over-the-counter pharmacy, but it has been shown by analysis that there are clearly some of the bugs in there that have been associated with worse outcome. So um, at least I think from the data we have currently, it's a better recommendation for patients to eat, um, you know, high fiber um, and, and green vegetables and so on to sort of modulate the gut microbiome um, compared to buying these over-the-counter probiotics, um, where it at least has been shown and has been published that there are some of the sort of bad guys in there. What is the kind of status of knowledge about the mechanisms that are kind of underlying this impact of the microbiome? Yeah, I mean, that's like sort of the key question, right? How is this working and how is the communication uh, uh, happening? So I I like to mention two aspects. So first of all, we know that uh, there are metabolites um, secreted also through um, the gut bacteria um, that um, possibly modulate T cells and also antigen presenting cells and, and thereby could have a direct impact on sort of function of immune effector cells. 
I think important, um, there's sort of a field that is evolving that is also looking at the microbiome within the tumor. So it appears that it's not only in the gut, but that has also been shown that within a sort of a tumor mass, you also um, can find certain bacteria. So there might even be a direct impact um, on immune infiltrating cells in this context. And then a second sort of um, a possible mode of mechanism, this is still under investigation. And like always in medicine, probably it's not the one mechanism, but it might be different from, you know, buck or clinical scenario and, and therapy and intervention is that maybe also um, certain products or gut bacteria are, you know, taken up and are also presented on antigen presenting cells and thereby could also modulate um, a T cell or cellular immune responses either directly, maybe in the context of CAR T cells, but also indirectly modulating T cell responses. So kind of turning to the practical aspect, so what are the implications of the current knowledge with regard to interventions? I know you mentioned, you know, kind of maybe the high fiber diet, but what about FMT or some of the other options? Yeah, I mean, I think FMTs uh, are currently being done in, in certain scenarios. I'm sure there are also CAR T-cell trials running where people are doing this. It's clearly being done in the context of GVHD, in the context of allogenic stem cell transplantation, also in non-malignancy setting. But um, the field is, I guess, evolving so that you sort of have encapsulated, defined um, gut microbiome or bacteria that you can swallow. And there are currently clinical trials running in the context of various immunotherapies where patients are receiving. Um, these kind of sort of interventions. Um, second approach um, is clearly um, nutrition intervention, where first of all, um, there are observational studies going on, so stool samples which are being analyzed, and where there's nutritional intervention uh, and that is um, currently being studied. So um, I don't think that we have the answer yet. So there's no clear recommendations. But there are lots of clinical trials currently that are um, exploring um, in the context uh, of different immunotherapy interventions. And uh, I'm sure, actually, that in two to five years, um, we'll, you know, when patients come on the ward, uh, we'll probably assess uh, their current gut microbiome and we'll hopefully adjust to the individual patients based on disease and, and therapeutic intervention what would be the optimal diet um, in conjunction to um, what they are receiving. I think one important thing and an action item we can already address right now that we have to be more um, cautious with what kind of antibiotics we are applying to patients to not of disturb or destroy the gut microbiome. For example, in the CAR T-cell context, we have developed hematological CAR T-cell score where we can identify patients that are at low versus high risk for developing prolonged neutropenia. So if patients get CAR T-cells, over 90% develop a fever, mostly they're neutropenic. And the first thing you do with these kind of patients, give them broad spectrum antibiotics. So when we looked at this, we saw that over almost 90% of our patients received broad spectrum antibiotics after receiving the CAR T cells. So now we are currently trying to see if a patient has a low risk profile 
for developing prolonged neutropenia. So rather patients who have neutropenia below 500 per microliter for five to six days. So they are sort of officially from the guidelines, a low risk patients for developing uh, severe infections. We do not give them um, empiric broad spectrum uh, antibiotics but um, either do not apply antibiotics at all and just see if this fever is a cytokine release syndrome anyway, or we give them antibiotics that have been shown to have a less um, disastrous impact um, on the gut microbiome, like, as I said, hinolona, where we just give per os um, antibiotics and try to at least identify patients that do not require these broad-spectrum antibiotics. So that is sort of an easy intervention. We actually have enough data um, to do right now um, already with our patients. Yeah, and that's a fantastic message for clinicians and something for them to be aware of. Is there any data around like the timing of antibiotic use? So in the CAR T-cell context, we have a lot of data of pre-antibiotics prior to CAR T-cells. We also have some data of antibiotics after CAR T-cells. But I would say um, this is still still very small um, patient data sets, and it's hard to conclude anything. But uh, clearly, um, antibiotics prior to CAR T-cells have a negative impact. And if this is to the same extent true after CAR T-cell transfusion, it's really difficult to as, as I said, almost 90% of these patients currently, with our current guidelines, still receiving broad-spectrum antibiotics. So you cannot really discriminate um, into didn't receive or did receive and uh, correlate this to outcome. So this makes it difficult, but uh, we are currently um, also looking again um, at the microbiome and, and looking at alpha-beta diversity. Thank you so much for that. And actually, that translates really nicely into my last question, which is kind of what do you think are the next kind of key research questions that need to be addressed to, to you know, move this forward to make some more clear recommendations for clinicians? Yes, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, lots of patients and everybody already knew it, but we really have to think and look at our patients in a more holistic um, approach, really nutrition and also um, how much sports or, or, or movement they're doing has a great impact on outcome for different um, uh, immunotherapy interventions. And it's clearly been shown uh, preclinical that um, nutrition, but also um, the amount of exercise you do has a clear impact um, on different parameters that you can actually measure like T-cell and K-cell function. So I think we have to acknowledge that we um, need to take these aspects into consideration and that they are not irrelevant. And um at least monitor what we are doing so that we can learn um, and, and correlate this to outcome and be more aware um, sort of on all the side sort of topics we had, didn't have on focus um, when we sort of start with a novel um, immunotherapy platform or something. Nobody thinks that, you know, exercise might be relevant or if the yogurt is relevant. But I think it might be much more relevant um, that we think. And um, this is really a very exciting and evolving field. And um, I'm convinced um, that this will be the future. You know, we'll probably have apps or something where we assess nutrition 
nutrition, you know, stool, exercise, and so on, and that will impact um, patient outcome. Uh, but clearly, uh, still lots of things um, to be learned. And why I think it is challenging, and why it sort of is challenged to translate into science or accepted science to some extent. Um, it's because um, there are so many variables and it's diff more difficult to measure and, and to assess. And it's, um, it's you know, it's not a lab value that you can measure, but it's a little bit more, I don't know, not more vague, but a little bit more difficult to, to assess and monitor. And that makes it a little bit harder um, to conclude. So we need a little bit more time uh, to get answers here. So. Yeah, quite a lot to unpick over the next few years. But yeah, hopefully, as you say, there will be that app and all patients can just receive the best treatment for them. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you. This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals for their ongoing medical education and entertainment. It should not replace the professional advice of a doctor or pharmacist and may not be used as a basis for diagnosis or any change to the prescribed treatment of disease. The views expressed by our moderators and guests are their opinions and do not represent the position of any third parties. The information given in the podcast is subject to change as the scientific field and clinical advances progress.